Just wait a minute. We got a job for you. I don't want no job. Why not? It's too much, too much like work, man. Listen, this is strictly nowhere. You got a lot of sick, old-fashioned ideas about working hard and living clean, and it's all a lot of junk. I'm too tired to listen. I mean, work is for sucker. You know, I like my job, Skipper. I wouldn't want to lose it. I've been up nearly two hours. I didn't intend to arise at 6.10 a.m., but was awakened by the yowling of Roger the cat. He can be quite loud and insistent. Apparently, we're on his schedule. I knew there was no falling back asleep, so I joined Sweet Tea for breakfast. When she left the house at 7 a.m. for work, I made another pot of coffee and began formulating a piece of writing from the title, Truckers Forget Trump Down, the get was in parentheses. The work transformed and is less about the reasons truck drivers are gaga for MAGA and more about how I ended up in trucking radio for a dozen years. Before I wrote a single word, I spent time on Facebook, then I sent messages and texts back and forth, then I delved into Medium, investigating how to get my writing in front of a wider audience. I miss having my voice heard far and wide. My outlets now our social media, and my podcast, Job Story, which is still finding an audience. Admittedly, I'm not doing all I can to promote it, but it could never capture as many ears as our SiriusXM talk show, Freewheeling. With a potential audience of 3 million truck drivers in the U.S. alone, the satellite signal also reaches Canada and parts of Mexico, we averaged thousands of listeners daily. As I reached the end of my journey with SiriusXM, my last day on their books is Thursday, October 11th, I'm going back to the beginning to offer the origin story of how I ended up talking with truckers for a living. Some of this you likely know, the rest you don't. My radio career began July 4th, 1986. I'd recently met Kaz, a cartoonist who was doing a show on WFMU, and he invited me and two friends to the station in East Orange for an impromptu parking lot barbecue and Statue of Liberty rededication celebration. We ran long microphone cables down the hall from the tiny main studio in the Froberg Hall basement out to where we set up the grill in the parking lot in an attempt to get the sizzle on the air. I have an air check from that appearance and what comes through is the sense of fun and freedom I felt on mic. You're listening to WFMU, it's 3.42 in the afternoon. This is Barbecue Cass here in WFMU with the with Mr. MSG, the mean-spirited guys here with me. How's we it have going, our meat? barbecue going full blast. We're going to be eating some meat really soon. Yeah, some <laughs> raw meat. is murder, meat. we're going to eat it. Okay. We're going to love it. Well, let me tell you what's happening in case you want to go out tonight. Myself, I'm going to be hiding underneath my kitchen table. Chicken and steak. Here's a great Ooh, show at Maxwell's, the Ben so Vaughn combo and the A-Bones. And we're going to have us. And that's located, Maxwell's located at 1039 Washington Street in Hoboken, New Jersey, where any night of the week you might find the mean-spirited guy it's, it's dropping dead, glasses dead, and dead, just dead, falling dead, over dead. the floor we're gonna have and vomiting on himself. And all down, weekend, the Ethnic falling, Folk Arts falling, falling, Center falling, is presenting music down. and dance for America. And that fire smells so good. And that, that'll be Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday from noon on. This takes place on, on Water Street, from Battery Park and then a hot dog to Maiden Lane. And some relish and mustard. 
and all oh, kinds of good and stuff. And there's water. And maybe a baked potato and then some vegetables. I'll tell you what, if oh, there's any 4th of July mishaps so out there good. that have already happened, some real yeah. disasters, because they if always happen on 4th of July, give us a call here. Area code 201 266 I'd grown up with a recorder in one hand and a transistor radio in the other. I'd been primed for this. I did some acting in high school with the drama club and the musical theater peeps. I'd also been in a few bands, so I had no trepidation about being in front of an audience and performing. That summer, Kaz asked if I wanted to come co-host a new show with him, and we created the Nightmare Lounge together. For three hours once a week, we played records, did interviews, hosted live bands, and kibitzed on the air as ourselves or in character. When Kaz decided to move on after a few years, I stayed, first as an overnight DJ, then as a fill-in, and finally as talk show host. Aerial View, the phone-in talk show I launched in 1982, came about as a fluke. I was working in the WFMU office as all-around assistant to the general manager and music director when someone failed the show for their noon slot. I volunteered to jump in, remembering my favorite parts of the Nightmare Lounge, taking phone calls from listeners. That's what I did for an hour. It might have also been expedient. There was no time to go into the record library and pull discs to play. I don't recall if I only did an hour because the scheduled DJ eventually showed up or if I did the whole three hours as some combo of talk and music. It might have been a one-hour slot, but I don't remember if FMU had those in 1989. My experiment succeeded, and I petitioned to get Aerial View on the roster. It became the first regularly scheduled talk show in the station's history. I found my thing, speaking extemporaneously, being opinionated and provocative, debating with callers, taking long flights into the absurd, using music and sound effects and field recordings to build a compelling whole. I was damn good at it. The bulk of Aerial View, me interacting with callers, was something I'd been unknowingly training for during years as a telemarketing rep. Aerial View soon found its stride, and I rode that pony until 2016, with a break of a few years around the time I was hired by Sirius Satellite Radio. More accurately, the second time I was hired by Sirius. The first time was in the spring of 2002. A fellow WFMU staff member called and asked if I wanted freelance work hosting a music show on the Blues Channel. I'd never heard of Satellite Radio, but I visited him and he told me about the gig. I'd get a hundred bucks a shift to host a four-hour music show, but I wouldn't have to be there four hours. Through the miracle of voice tracking, I'd record just the mic breaks, three to four brief interludes every hour between batches of songs, and I'd be out of there in 45 minutes. 100 bucks for less than an hour's work? Sign me up. When I got good at it, I can complete a four-hour show in 30 minutes. It was, of course, a, a form of corner cutting, emblematic of how things had been going in America. This was truly a radio factory and completely at odds with the hand-built aesthetic of WFMU. But WFMU wasn't paying my rent, and I felt no qualms about transgressing unwritten DJ purity laws. 
I could sense a few of my fellow WFMU staffers looking down their noses, but I was sure I was already considered lesser than because I hosted a talk show. You know, that stupid shit Howard Stern does. Speaking of Howard, he hadn't arrived at Sirius yet. There was no entire wing of the 36th floor devoted to his studios and offices. He was still at K-Rock and immensely popular. Sirius was competing with XM, another satellite radio company, to stay afloat, and both companies decided to lure Howard away from terrestrial radio as a key to long-term survival. Only one company had Mel Karmazin. Sirius. But this is my story, not Howard Stern's. In the fall of 2005, another WFMU adjacent friend whom I knew via his wife, who hosted a popular Saturday afternoon show, called and asked if I wanted to co-host a new show on the Trucking Channel. He'd been handed the reins due to his long years as sole proprietor of a record label and his love for all things trucking. I never knew trucking radio existed, but he was an Aerial View fan and wanted to team me up with yet another WFMUer. She'd been doing on-air work during a serious trucking channel morning show. I'd known her many years, and we were friendly, so it seemed a good fit. I was taken to meet the decision-maker, bringing him some recently minted Aerial View potholders as an offering. In March of 2006, just after the Mid-America Trucking Show in Louisville, Kentucky, the trucking industry's largest annual gathering, the Trucking Channel was relaunched and rebranded as Road Dog Trucking Radio. Our show, Freewheelin', a name I came up with based on a conversation with a truck driving friend, went on the air in the 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. slot. From the start, we emphasized a free-form approach, as if the show somehow slid off WFMU's schedule and onto Sirius. We were irreverent, we were funny, we were absurd. I used my entire library of sound bites and sound effects, engineering the show myself. My history of topic creation on Aerial View served me well. We needed a new topic every day. Most were trucking-related. Tell us about the last time your truck broke down. Some were tangential, what are the best one-handed foods, and others, what's your power anthem, had nothing trucking-specific about them. Against the backdrop of traditional trucking radio, our show soon stood out and gained traction. Trucking is a solitary profession, and truck drivers, unless they drive team, are starved for human interaction behind the wheel. Many of them were hooked into our show by hearing a female voice. There hadn't been many in trucking radio, unless you count spouses who acted as intermittent sidekicks. For the first few years of freewheeling, we embodied what our boss told us about being, quote, relevant, informative, and entertaining, unquote, but put our own stamp on a previously moribund genre. Talking with truck drivers was a revelation. Though I come from a blue-collar background, my father was a mechanic, I'd spent years preaching to the hipper-than-thou choir that largely comprised the WFMU audience. Sometimes you'd get a prank call from obnoxious kids or hear from a confused person who, quote, fell down the rabbit hole, unquote, and couldn't comprehend a station like WFMU. But it was mostly hipsters likely dressed head to toe in black. Freewheeling callers were a whole nother ball of wax. When they weren't ignoring me and hitting on my co-host, are there any pictures of you online, darling? They were complaining about these things. 
hours of service. The FMCSA, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, had recently changed the hours drivers could run, mandating certain breaks in an attempt to mitigate crashes due to lack of sleep. Drivers felt they weren't being trusted enough to know their own bodies. They wanted to run when they could and sleep when necessary. Lack of respect from four-wheelers. Four-wheelers describes anyone not in a truck. Motorcyclists didn't come in for the same contempt because many truckers are also bikers. Not only were four-wheelers responsible for boneheaded moves on the highway that led to crashes, they didn't give a good goddamn about the sacrifices drivers made to deliver the shit you buy online and at the store, the raw materials needed to build America, and all that fuel that kept it humming. It ain't like it used to be. A constant refrain was, trucking anymore is not like it was in my day. We used to take care of each other. Now everyone's in it for themselves. Not only did independent drivers have to compete against each other for loads, often engaging in a race to the bottom by undercutting each other's bids, they had to contend with all the newbies driving for mega carriers. Kids who couldn't operate a split-stick transmission or do a blind alley dock were considered nothing more than steering wheel holders. The complaints of these old-timers were an early clue to a new direction about growing inequality, the diversification of America, and the perceived loss of status about same. Squeezed on one side by huge trucking fleets and on the other by drivers from non-traditional backgrounds, women, blacks, Latinos, LGBTQ, Sikhs, etc., the traditional straight white male Christian truck driver was feeling besieged. Trucking, one of the last industries where someone with or without a high school diploma can earn a good income, start their own business, and enter the middle class, was undergoing a cultural shift, and freewheeling was along for the ride. Our show cultivated what I dubbed freak wheelers, those non-traditional types mentioned previously, while also welcoming all who kept an open mind and had a sense of humor. Though we'd never driven truck and were perceived by some as those two libtards from the Northeast, we kept our politics largely to ourselves and were embraced as family. Freewheeling punched above its weight and pound for pound could go up against any talk show on our channel or others. In addition to the aforementioned elements, we had a constant parade of actors, athletes, authors, celebrities, and musicians through our studio. When I peruse the list of people we interviewed, I can't help but be impressed. We always got compliments afterwards from the subjects or their people on conducting insightful interviews that left me wondering who'd ever hear them, hidden away as they were behind a paywall and in the safe harbor of trucking radio. I tried to weigh anchor from that safe harbor many times, but there was a tendency to place people in a lane and keep them there. I put my all into my job, and despite some monumental challenges and deep frustrations, I couldn't wait to be on the air each day doing live radio. We went a dozen years before the wheels finally came off. I blame Trump. That's not a joke. I had a job until he became president, and if you and I ever meet in person, I'll draw you a Venn diagram that illustrates how my job and his ascendancy intersected 
and led to my unemployment. As my end date approaches, it saddens me most to think our air checks may be locked away in a cabinet somewhere, never to be heard again, not even the copious interviews. I can't say if I'll ever be back on the air doing live radio, the thing I love. I have a podcast. You're listening to it, but so does everyone. The fierce urgency of now, represented by live radio, is the thrill I seek. Tune in. It's happening. Sometimes I think about going back to where it all began, WFMU. Then I recall my deep shame over how its gatekeeper stood in judgment of me, withdrawing his support and greasing the skids for my departure when my voice was no longer appreciated. It was, and is, a patented move, so he could never be accused of removing people. He just makes it impossible for them to stay. When you're dead to WFMU, you stay dead. On the fingers of one hand, I can count the number of fellow DJs and hosts that showed the slightest bit of interest in why I was no longer around. It's an open secret that the concentration of power there in one person's hands is problematic, but everyone's willing to live under a benevolent dictatorship if the benevolence flows to them. As for my other radio outlet, on the cusp of my departure date from Sirius XM, I wanted to tell the whole story of what went on there until Sweet T said, don't burn bridges, you never know. I think I know. Did I mention I have a podcast? io slash job story for details and submit your job story at jobstorypod at gmail.com. You can also record a job story of 90 seconds or less at speakpipe.com slash job story or record a longer job story by calling way for job pod. That's 929-456-2763. Please share Job Story with your friends and family, and be sure to review Job Story on iTunes and elsewhere. Until next time, this is Chris T., working hard and hardly working. So, uh, you guys are my new co-workers. So, working hard or hardly working? <laughs> I said, working hard or hardly working? Working hard or hardly working? Working hard or hardly working? It's a simple question! Are you A, working hard, or B, show? <laughs> Suppose you tune in next week to see if I'm still on the job. <laughs>